Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Oh yeah really is the end of the uh, broadcast year when you think about it. The uh, wonderful people who lead America are flee- fleeing Washington like rats from a sinking ship. Pelosi uh, shot herself in the foot. She basically screwed the entire Democrat Party with her arrogance and her actually foolishness. There are dueling Harvard liberal lawyers, radical liberal lawyers on the side of the Constitution who, who studied the Constitution who were on the opposite sides of each other. One of them says this, the other one says that. Well, the one that came out today, and it's a witness that Pelosi herself called, Noah Feldman. Uh, Noah Feldman, Noah Feldman. That uh, rarefied, effete Noah Feldman from Harvard, who was used as a witness by Shifty, actually called in the impeachment inquiry, said that Trump is not impeached until the articles are sent to the Senate. So they don't know what to do. It means Pelosi shot herself in the foot. Her big mouth got herself in trouble. And fundamentally, according to this scholar at Harvard, and he's a liberal, Trump has not been uh, impeached until they're sent over to the Senate. Not impeached. It's an interesting thing how politics work, especially when you have such stupid people in the business. Stupid people in the business. A record 9,300 stores shut down in the United States in 2019 according to the Epic Times. 9,300 stores, including locations operated by Payless, Gymboree, Fred's, Walgreens, Family Dollar, and many more. Okay? GameStop, Gap, Foot Locker, Walgreens, Destination Maternity, GNC, Bed Bath & Beyond, Victoria's Secret, CVS, Big Lots. Now, they're still in business. Don't get me wrong. But in these complexes, uh, many of these stores have shut why do you think 9,300 stores went out of business? Uh, online shopping? Amazon? The gigantic monopoly called Amazon? The real question is, if Amazon is so against Trump, which she is, Bezos, the only thing in the Washington Post and he attacks Trump, why doesn't Trump do anything about Amazon's gargantuan monopoly? Everyone knows it's a monopoly. Everyone knows it's gobbling up retail, destroying retail stores. You know, I know business people who agree with him, though. If he's doing a better job, let him stay in business. I'm, I'm kind of an anti-monopoly person myself. I've always been for the little guy. I don't want to see giant chains gobbling up little family stores, so-called mom-and-pop businesses. And I believe that Amazon should be in. I've said it, I was the first in the media to say it so far as I know. I don't need a halo or a star for it. But this is not anything new to me. Amazon is, by every definition, a monopoly. The antitrust division 
of the U.S. Justice Department was set up specifically to stop companies like Amazon from gobbling up little businesses, and they're not doing their job. And it's not a Democrat in office. It's a uh, Trump in office. So why is Trump hands off with Bezos? It's a puzzling question, but there's always an answer to it. There's always an answer to these questions. It's never that hard to figure out. Why doesn't Trump do anything about Bezos? He, can, he could sick the antitrust division on him. I know it's not a big thing. Okay, let's move on. Who cares? Right? Who's that? No one really cares. We all buy online. We don't care. And, and the weird thing is, like, I bought something on uh, online, vitamins the other day, online, one of my favorite brands, which I'm not going to mention to you. It was cheaper on Amazon Prime than it would have been through the company itself. Would you believe it? I don't know how they do it. They buy a lot in advance, whatever, and it comes in a day. How does it arrive in a day? I don't understand that. They got all these people working everywhere. Then there's this Christianity Today hullabaloo. The left-wing editor, Mark Galley, saying Trump must go. Of course, this was a low blow. Of course, it shouldn't have been in Christianity Today. Christianity Today should be about Christianity Today, not about Trump uh, tomorrow. And the guy is a liar. The guy says, this guy, uh, the editor, Mark Galley, who attacked Trump, saying Trump must go. He says, we rarely comment on politics. Well, so now that you've commented on politics, what does that tell us about you? Is another story that's very troubling that I don't want to... It's the third rail of talk radio, but I have to do it. It's one of the subjects that if you touch it, you're going to be... Let's touch it. A poor Hispanic kid burnt a gay flag, an LGSSL flag. I'm sorry, I don't know the right initials. Something with L and G. Lesbian and gay. Let's stick to LG. Those two I know. I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. I can't keep up with all of the other subcategories. So a Hispanic guy burns an LGBTQ flag. He doesn't hurt anyone, doesn't hit anyone, doesn't burn down a building. He only burns a flag. Some fascistic left-wing judge in a small community in Iowa throws him in jail for 16 years. Now, you know that I know that this can be overturned, but he's a poor Hispanic kid with no money. He probably doesn't have a lawyer. And he got 16 years for burning a flag. Now, we've talked about flag burning here 100,000 times. Let me ask you something. If you burn an American flag, I get pissed off. We've talked about it. And every time we talk about it, these vermin liberal lawyers come up and say, "Uh, uh, 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 uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, it's protected speech. It's not a hate crime to burn an American flag. You can burn that flag. It's just a piece of cloth. So you can't put them in jail, all these communists who burn the American flag. But if you dare go near that LGBTQ flag, you're going away for 16 years. Sorry, it doesn't work. It does not work. It just shows you if you're poor, you have no chance at justice in America. Now, if I were an activist, I'd raise money for the kid because it's a, it's a seminal First Amendment issue. But I'm not raising money for anybody. That's all. It's a big story, actually, a very big story. I'm surprised no one talked about it. And the impeachment stuff, we touched on it. Far left, mag evangelical, blah, blah, blah. Final debate. We got a lot of debate stuff with the cave. Pete, Pete, butt gag in the cave. Butt gag, butt gag, butt gag, butt gag, butt gag. I'm not trying to be sneery about his name. It's impossible. He can never be president for one reason. No one can pronounce his name. It's impossible. You cannot say President Buttigieg. It's impossible. President no one will even talk to this guy. Excuse me, Mr. President doesn't work. He can't be president. Also, he happens to look like, uh, sorry, he's got a face that looks a little bit like a Disney character. I don't know which one. I don't know which Disney character. He's rather intelligent, I know. I know he's a darling of the educated left. I get that. He's certainly more, more appealing than the concentration camp guard, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who looks like she ran the uh, Stalag 17. Wow, what a mean old witch she is. I take him over her in two seconds. The wine cave debate was interesting. I did watch a little bit last night. But I saw a horror movie after it that I liked even better than Elizabeth Warren. You know, and the horror movie was called Greta. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was by a very famous director who does... I generally never watch horror movies because my life can be very horrible without them, and I try to not watch horror movies. 
I watch history. I watch car shows. I watch movies. I don't like horror movies. But I watched this one called Greta because there was a very famous middle-aged French actress in it whose name I recognize, and I know she's a terrific actress. I'm not going to give you the whole plot. It's called Greta. And the thing is, it was pretty horrible. I had nightmares from it, slight palpitations in the morning, which I could do without <coughs> right now. I would recommend it if you like a mild horror movie. Don't let your teenage daughters watch it. That's all I can say. On the other hand, do let your teenage daughters watch it because it's, it shows how gullible some of these girls are from out of town and move to New York who think they're having a time of their life, getting drunk in bars, meeting random men, having sex wherever they want, whenever they want. And something happens with a middle-aged woman and one of these girls that you'll never believe. It's really well done. And I read a novel I got to tell you about. I really love it. It's called The Wife. And we try to get the author on. I'm sure she's a far-left savage hater. It doesn't matter. She's a fine writer. The movie, uh, I, I saw the film first on TV. It's unbelievable. Raise your hand if you saw The Wife. Probably two people out of 10 million saw The Wife. It's utterly unbelievable. And I want to tell you about the movie and why I liked it so much. And then I want to read you a piece from this novel. I went and bought the novel after I saw the movie. And I'm going to read you one paragraph to show you what fine writing actually is, where there's very little writing left in the world. And uh, it's all Twitter now. Twitter will destroy the English language. Actually, it will destroy all language on earth. Uh, having to reduce your thoughts to only a few characters for subliterate morons to make a point and make sure they see it has already probably destroyed language around the world. You may as well just grunt and point at your genitals to communicate as well as tweet. Mm, you know, that's about it. I tweet, but it's, it's, it's astonishing what it does to your mind. There's, there's a difference between writing succinctly and writing illiterately without any charm. That's Twitter. Well, we're running into the show already, and well, no, you're bored to death because you wanted me to talk about impeachment, which uh, you got the wrong guy if that's what you want to hear about. If that's all you want to hear about, you got the wrong guy. We've done it already. She took her best shot. <clears throat> she disappeared. She shot herself in her foot. One of the main constitutional scholars at Harvard said he's not impeached yet and won't be until it goes to the Senate. Nancy screwed herself in plain English. Have a nice day. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Every day, President Trump is facing unprecedented obstruction and harassment from the liberal mob and their fake news allies. He's been exonerated twice, and they're still calling for his impeachment because they know Congress is their last hope. He needs your support now more than ever. Please text SAVAGE to 88022. S-A-V-A-G-E to 88022, and you're going to get official Trump alerts directly to your phone. You'll gain exclusive 2020 updates directly from President Trump himself. You'll be the first to know when new Trump merchandise is available. You'll even be able to give your input on key issues to help shape the 2020 campaign. Again, all you have to do is text SAVAGE to 88022. While Democrats and the fake news media have spent the last two years focused on bogus witch hunts, President Trump has been working around the clock to make America great again. Make sure you're getting your news directly from the source by texting SAVAGE to 88022. Again, be sure to text S-A-V-A-G-E to 88022. SAVAGE to 88022. This was paid for by the Trump Make America Great Again Committee, a joint fundraising committee authorized by and composed of Donald J. Trump for President, Inc., and the Republican National Committee that is dedicated to making America great again. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. It is Rock and Roll Friday on the Savage Nation. Thank God we don't have to see that swamp witch anymore for the year. Let that putz take a vacation and get out of my face already. Can't she leave us alone? So the impeachment thing, I'm so bored of it, it's just leave me alone. But no, they have to carry it over to next year. So, look, I made my name by doing things other than politics. I'll continue to do what I've done, which is, uh, you know, news views and reviews. But before I go into this movie and this book for one minute, this is the last live show of the year. I'm sorry, I heard, oh, go out through the entire Savage Nation. 
But you will hear my mellifluous voice all of next week. We've put together a spectacular five days of best ofs of the whole year, the best of the Savage Nation for 2019. But I'm not going to be live. I hope I'm not dead, but I will not be live on the air (laughs) all of next week. What would you like to say to me before the year is over? Because you're not going to get a chance to call me other than today until 2020, God willing. 855-407-282 is the phone number. Now, let me go into this. So the movie is The Wife. I had never heard of it. It's a small art film in a way. Even though Glenn Close is a major star, Jonathan Price plays her husband. Christian Slater plays the pesky uh, uh, reporter or uh, biographer. Max Irons plays the son, David. So what is this about? What it's about is a couple that's been married 40 years, Joan and Joe. And um, they met when he was a professor at an all-girls college back in the 50s. He has an affair with her. The, the student's in love with him. He leaves her, his wife and daughter for her, and they're married. Now it's 40 years later, and he's about to be given the Nobel Prize in literature. And they're on their way to Sweden with their kind of 20-year-old son to receive the Nobel Prize. You would say this is the greatest time in their life. You would say they're going to have a wonderful time. But, of course, there wouldn't be a novel or a book if that was it. No, that's exactly the opposite of what happened. It's a devastating story of fighting egos, psychological uh, battles between husband and wife, and the woman behind the man turns out to be an actual hero who's not going to take it anymore. And the way it explodes at the Nobel Prize ceremony is just unbelievable. And the tension between the father and son is something to watch. But I want to read something to you from the novel. I went and bought the novel. The uh, lady who wrote this novel, the, the novelist, is named Meg Wolitzer. We've not yet gotten in through her to her publisher. But here's what she writes. So they're in, listen to writing. You want to hear writing? God, there's no time already. I'm gagging. So they're on the plane in first class on the way to Sweden. And here's page 23. We'll be landing soon, the brunette flight attendant said almost apologetically as she strolled the aisle of our plane. By now, of course, nine hours into it, the entire experience of the flight had moved from the clean, expectant pleasure that was there at the outset to the cranky, restless filth that occurred when you stayed within a small space for too long. The air, once so antiseptic, was now home to a million farts and corn chips and moist towelettes. Clothes were crushed. People bore corrugations on their cheeks from where they had slept against the seat or on their own crumpled jackets. And even the brunette flight attendant, who had earlier seemed such a seduction to Joe, now looked like a tired hooker who wants to call it quits. (laughs) She had no more cookies to offer. Her basket was empty. Instead, she returned to her seat in the back, and I saw her strap herself in and squirt breath freshener into her mouth. Now you say, what's that about? Well, it's not about impeachment. It doesn't say Trump. It's a piece of writing. It's called a piece of literature. There's an earlier piece that I want to quote in the minute that I have before I gag to death. So she's looking back on their life in the airplane when she decides on that airplane to get the Nobel Prize that she's going to divorce him. And she says this to herself, people usually thought we were a good couple. And I suppose that once a long time ago, back when the cave paintings were first sketched on the rough walls at Lascaux, back when the earth was uncharted and everything seemed hopeful, this was true. But soon enough, we moved from the glory and self-love of any young couple to the green algae swamp of what is delicately known as later life. Though I'm now 64 years old and mostly as invisible to men as a swirl of dust motes, motes, I used to be a slender, big-breasted blonde girl with a certain shyness that drew Joe toward me like a hypnotized chicken. Don't you say that's great writing? Jim, did you hear any of this? He's busy fielding calls. I, I can't recommend this enough because if you like good literature and you're sick and tired of po- political dolts and you can't stand the illiteracy of Twitter, once in a while it's nice to go to the museum and look at great paintings and great sculptings. And once in a while, it's good to read contemporary literature. That's fine. And then go into the uh, earlier literature. That's great. And that's what we're going to do a little bit, as well as a little politics. 
Have anything to say to Mike? It's your last shot of the year at 855-407-282. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. It is the Savage Nation. Last live show of the year. I know it's right. What? Where are you going, Mike? Don't worry. You'll hear my melodious voice, my mellifluous melodious voice at that. All of next week with the best shows of the year uh, put together for you. If the crimes don't fit, you must acquit. That's actually the best statement on the impeachment ever made by anybody. You know who, who said that? Who said if the crimes don't fit, you must acquit? I said it. I sent it as a tweet to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Was it picked up anywhere? No, because I'm not a Fox News host. Uh, it's not heard of. If the crimes don't fit, you must acquit. Well, the crimes don't fit and you must acquit. Now, last night there was a Dem debate. Before I watched the horror movie called Greta, I watched the horror uh, debate with a real horror film actress in it. I mean, she, she actually terrifies me. The others I can laugh at. You know, you want me to go down the list of my emotional reaction to the Democrats? They don't upset me that much. They're such class warfare phonies, they're going to get nowhere. There'll be a landslide with Trump winning. We all know that. These people have no clue that they're not at a college campus just, you know, pumping fists to feel good. They still think they're on a college campus with a bunch of hysterical premenopausal women screaming with pink hats on. No, that's not what America is. So then you got that one there, that uh, college teacher, the meanest face I've ever seen in pol politics since Hillary Clinton. She's so mean looking, she makes Hillary look like a Snow White. She is a Biter-Monhoff face. You got to look up who Biter-Monhoff, the gang was. The Biter-Monhoff gang. That's who Elizabeth Warren is. She's the type who would stuff you in a trunk. So uh, they have a debate last night, and she attacks the weakest one of them all, Buttgeg. Buttigig? I'm sorry, I just don't care. I can't pronounce his damn name. If you run for the presidency, come up with a name someone can remember. We'll call him Buttigieg. Warren hits Buttigieg about a fundraiser in a wine cave full of crystals. And she says, you have millionaires and billionaires and millionaires and billionaires and millionaires and billionaires. This class warfare was started by the communist Bernie Sanders, who hoodwinked the poor people of Vermont, slept on people's couches on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, slept with his friends' wives, ripped off their marijuana, never held a job in his life. Finally, they kicked him out of Manhattan. He moved to Vermont. He lived on someone's couch in Burlington. And because he sold the college crowd on uh, class warfare, they made him mayor. The next thing you know, the schmuck is the representative of Vermont, which is still rather a Republican state. In case you don't know it, he really doesn't represent the state. He represents that thin sliver of uh, out-of-staters who took over a good portion of the state and some local people who are left-wing in some way. But the state is fundamentally a Republican farming state. He's about as, as Vermont-like as I am. Would I represent Vermont properly? Politically, maybe, but do I sound like I'm from Vermont? Do I look like I'm from Vermont? Does he? No, he's not. He's from Moscow. Uh, Bernie Sanders is from Moscow circa 1951 in the Stalin era. A low-grade Politburo member is who he is, a class warfare hater. So they're on the stage, and they're attacking each other for millionaires and billionaires. The only one who actually isn't rich, and I don't know what's wrong with being rich. I wanted to be rich my whole life. I never hated the rich. I envied the rich. I wanted to be them. When I was in Manhattan and Donald Trump was being chauffeured to the New York Military Academy in a limousine, I was walking in the slush uh, from high school to another job, for example. I, I wanted to be the kid taken to the uh, high school in a limousine. I wished my father could have provided a limo for me. Instead, I had to take the Q44A, then I had to schlep through the slush, then I had to work in a candy store or a drugstore after school. I had to struggle through school. But I wanted my father to be a rich guy, and I struggled to make something of myself. That's what America's based upon, not hating those you wish to become, maybe desiring to be those you wish to become. The entire Democrat Party is built upon the lie that the rich are evil, that they all stole it from somebody. I never heard anything like this. Of course, there are thieves who steal it from others. But the norm of the people I know who made their fortunes, every last one of them killed themselves. One of the richest people I know said to me, Michael, 
He said, if you could line up all the butts I've had a kiss to get where I am, and the man is in his 90s, he said, those behinds would go around the world three times over. That says an awful lot. And the other people I know who are wealthy have worked seven days a week, 24 hours a day to build and maintain their businesses. And by the way, they pay most of the taxes in this country. Those of us who make money in this country support the whole country. It's not the, the filthy bum in the emergency room who's supporting the country. Don't get me started on that, please. Do not get me started on emergency rooms and how the bum off the street or the illegal alien is given priority over the American citizen. Don't get me started on what I see in emergency rooms. Don't get me started about the egalitarian of the egalitarianism of the medical system. I hate it. I hate it. No, they're not entitled to the same medical care as I am. I pay the doctors. I pay the nurses. I pay for the electric bill. No, they shouldn't be given the same treatment as I am. How do you like that? But okay, I know it's not very popular. New York, Devin, you're on the Savage Nation. Welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Mr. Savage, my name is Devin Stiles. It's a great honor to be speaking with you. I'm 23 years old. I just wanted to thank you very much for your vast knowledge. Um, us in the younger generation, we don't have too many people that can pass on the information that you know. And I just wanted to thank you very much. for. Well, that's nice of you to, to be a new listener. I am an older white male, and I've worked my whole life to not be poor because I began as a poor young white kid. And I decided I didn't want to be a, an old white kid. So, uh, Devin, it's a long road. It's filled with rocks and uh, all sorts of traps. But if you keep on going, you'll get where you want to go, Devin. Thank you very much for the call. Yeah, I remember a movie just came back to me when I was in my teen. I was a big moviegoer as a kid, too. Some art films. I used to go to a lot of art films. I don't remember most of them. Obscure theaters and... One of them showed a scene. Probably it was a Russian production. Ooh, that means you're a communist. No, I watched the, the Potemkin. I'm not a communist. My, my ancestors fled communism, you schmuck. But anyway, I remember the movie. So it shows a scene of an old man, like an old white-haired man with a white beard. And he talks to a young man on the road of life, sort of. It's like a metaphor. And they pass each other on the road of life, and it's all rocks. The old man's walking on rocks towards his destiny, and the young man is walking on rocks towards his destiny, and they pass each other. That's a scene. That's a hell of a scene. You know what I mean? Well, what does that have to do with uh, Donald Trump? Nothing. What does that have to do with Nancy Pelosi? Zero. Why am I mentioning it? Because I want to. Now we're going to play a little sound that's political. And this is, again, the attack on Pete Buttigieg. And he, he goes back against the uh, concentration camp guard, Elizabeth Warren, in clip um, 16. Let's hear it. According to Forbes magazine, I am the, literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. Are you too stupid? So if this is important. Why are you cheering? This You're is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. Well, you're boasting that you're a dummy? If I pledged never to be in the company of a progressive Democratic donor, I couldn't be up here. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine. <laughs> now, supposing that you went home feeling the holiday spirit. I know this isn't likely, but All stay right, with stop. me. Let's stop. It's enough. It's too, much. it's too much. Shut up already. Shut up. It's too much. You made your point. She's finished. He, de he cut her legs out. Senator, your net worth is 100 times. That's Focahontas. Not only is she a fake Indian, she's a fake communist. Her net worth is 100 times more than Pete's, and yet she attacks him for having a wine raising in a cellar up there. You know, if you look at corks from France, and I've been drinking wine since I'm 18 years old. I used to always love Bordeaux wine, even when I was poor, if I went to a restaurant and I could afford a cheap bottle of French wine. It was always the wine I preferred, dark, heavy reds. You pull the cork, and it always would say in, Fran in French, mise en bouteille, Dans son cave. It means put in the bottle in our cave. What was that, illegal? To have a cave, a wine cave? Were they crazy? What's wrong with her? So then Newsom jumps in today and says he also raised money in the cave. Every Democrat raises money in the cave. Let's listen to 14. Here's Gavin Newsom. Listen to this one. That cave's been used by Democrats all across the country for fundraising. Probably, probably 100, 100 congressional representatives have benefited from the use of that. So... I'm in the business, so I know that place well. Uh, I just, well, what's the class? Of, I don't know if this is helping. What is it about? We're Democrats are good at begrudging people. I don't know what it is. I just don't think it's helping. 
Well, that's because he's a very rich man. That's to his credit. Newsom's a rich man, which is good. And he's saying, why are they begrudging people? Because, see, he realizes that if this keeps up this class warfare that Elizabeth Warren, and it was started by the communist Bernie Sanders, he's finished. He's always dreamed of being president. Fact of reality. Newsom's dream is to be president. And uh, the fact is that he has a lot of deficits. A, he's healthy. B, he's Caucasian. C, he's a male. D, he's Caucasian. Uh, E, he's Caucasian. F, he's Caucasian. G, he's a male. And H, he's a male. In addition to that, another strike against him, he's he's heterosexual. That's a real blow against him in California. And even worse than that is he's married. That's another very bad blow against him. And worse than that, he's a wonderful father of a number of children. That is such a curse for a politician in California. I don't think he can be president, but okay. Then they attack him, then attacking each other for having money. The man was put in power by the Gettys. The Getty family, nothing wrong with that. But that's how he became a, whatever, a mayor. So now he sees what the schmucks are doing to each other, and he steps in and he says, you know, what's the begrudgment about? Then she starts in with the wine cave. Mise en bouteille dans son cave. Nice on the cork. You look at the cork, says that. So he, the hundred times more than me, millionaire, billionaire, millionaire, billionaire. Bernie's now a millionaire. Bernie's now a millionaire, 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 millionaire. He's no longer sleeping on couches. Uh, the biggest swindler on that stage is Bernie Sanders. Can he just say, I'm proud to be an American, that I made my fortune here by hoodwinking people into thinking I'm a communist and people are so stupid that the uh, useful idiots that I've used to get where I am also made me a rich man. I want to thank you very much for being a gullible pack of lunatics. San Francisco, we'll go to some of the callers. Petri in line four, go ahead, please. What's on your mind? Oh, Mike, that was so good. What you were reading from that book earlier, uh, I, I want to request read some more of it. I mean, that description of being on an airplane for nine hours and farting yes. in the air. I never read. I never read anything as well written as that about a nine-hour flight. And that's just an example of how insightful this writer Meg Wolitzer is. And the, the novel is called The Wife. I, I recommend it highly. It's an older novel done in 2014, and it's not for everyone. I would say it was done in 2003 by Meg Wolitzer. Uh, you'd enjoy the novel if you're an older person and into um, thought, if you've been married and, you know, whatever, if you know the chaos of life and yet you still love the person you're with. You know what I'm saying? I do, I do. I'm kind of going through it right now with a long-distance relationship, someone in Nebraska. <laughs> so, What, you met, you met online? No, no, we met here in, in the Bay Area and uh, dancing. What did she do? She, she, moved away, she moved away to Nebraska? No, no, she was out here to help a friend move from the Bay Area back to Nebraska. Oh, oh so you met and fell in love, and now you're communicating by email and stuff? Trying the long, uh, yeah, and texting and phone calls, doing the Why long. Why don't you just move to Nebraska and leave Gov- Governor Newsom's ni- uh, nightmare state? I'm already looking at it. I applied for transferring with my company and beautiful in Iowa. Beautiful. I would do it. <laughs> I would think I would. I would leave this rotten, stinking state if I could. Okay, my friend. Thank you for noticing. Back in a minute. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. It is the Savage Nation. Can't believe it. The 20th of December is the last live show of the year. But wait, 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 wait. Next week, you're going to hear my great voice anyway. 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th. We have the best shows of the year, uh, devoid of all of the distraction, boiled down for you, so you'll still hear me. Hanukkah is Sunday night, the first light. Christmas Eve is the 24th, Tuesday. Thank God that the uh, Swamp uh, Witch is gone. I hear that she's uh, Pelosi has gone to the Bella Lugosi School of uh, of uh, Acting to see if she can improve her role for next year and become even more witch-like and more frightening. The Bella Lugosi School of Vampires. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Fans of the spoken word, welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book. See the movie. 
Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Vice President Biden, I'd like to ask you, three consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president... Would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, because the opportunity, because the opportunity for those workers to transition to high-paying jobs, as Tom said, is real. Tom. We're the only country in the world that's ever taken great, great oh, crises up. and turned right. them into... Biden can't win. Biden has always been stupid. Biden just committed suicide. He's asked by this reporter, by the way, it's a very clever question, very smart. <clears throat> Would you sacrifice uh, economic growth even though uh, you're going to eliminate oil and gas production and move them over to uh, green garbage? How'd that work out for Solyndra, by the way, Joe? And Joe steps right into the bear trap and says, yes, because the opportunity, says, for those workers to transition to high-paying jobs, as Tom said. Now, who's he referring to as Tom? Did you watch that guy, Tom Steyer, the guy who bought his way onto the stage? What an idiot he is. What an evil, lying demagogue. What a lowlife. Who is that guy? How did that schmuck ever make money? I don't even understand what he made his money in. Does anyone know, know this guy, Tom Steyer? Who is he? He's like a sty in the eye of the American political scene. Is there a listener to this show who could tell us anything about Tom Steyer? another class warfare uh, in, individual. So who do you think Biden's core audience would be? Joe Sixpack, the working guy, the guy who works in oil, works in gas, works in steel, the carpenter, the plumber, who can relate to Joe. Now he says he'd be willing to throw them to the wolves because the opportunity for them to work to transition to high-paying jobs, what jobs? There are none. There are no jobs waiting for them. It's straight unemployment. Okay, so, you know, Biden has a certain appeal, by the way. You've got to understand that. There's a part of Joe Biden that appeals to me until I understand who he actually is. He's a standard uh, political hack, an apparatchik of the Democrat machine. He will do and say anything necessary to remain uh, where he is, and he's been there forever, and he's too old on top of it all. Justice Pelosi is obviously a senile old woman who's been propped up by God knows what to get her where she is. You know, I think there should be an age limit in politics. I'm starting to think that there's a real problem here. I don't know what the age limit should be, and I don't care about the new, the new, the new norm where, you know, 75 is the old 55 or 55 or 70. There's got to be a cap on it. Since you won't agree with me that every politician should have drug tests, pee in a cup once a week, and all America gets to see the results online, want to know what they're on, even if it's legal drugs, to, to figure out how they could be saying these things and doing these things. Since they are not going to agree to take a drug test, peeing in a cup, do you think there should be an age limit, never mind a term limit for politicians? What should that age be, irrespective of their relative health? Should it be 70, 75? Because you're starting to see what happens when they start getting near the, uh, the ninth decade, which is age 80. It's interesting when you say 80 is the ninth decade. Do you know that? And you look at the Bible, you know, we're not supposed to live this long. Isn't it four score and ten? I mean, Max supposed to live his 50 years? I think the Bible says four score and ten. That's all. And then you check out. You cross the river and there you are. I don't know about you. I'm not ready to cross that river. You ready to cross that river? No, sirree. But across the river and over the sea, here I am waiting for thee. Look, folks, it's the last live show of the year, and if you want to get on the air and be heard by more people than you'll be heard by for the rest of your life, the phone number is 855-407-282. We're talking about literature, politics, not much else right now. The debate last night was fairly uh, insufferable. I had to turn it off and on, and then uh, when I turned it on, there they were again. Again, the same exact story. He has debased the entire political uh, uh, in institution, Bernie Sanders. He destroyed it. There was a time Democrats were simply for the working person. They were not racists. 
They were not sexist. They didn't hate white people. They didn't hate uh, wealth. Then they became crazier than a field mouse on crack. Along comes Bernie, the seltzer man, with the communist rhetoric, and they're all repeating him. Now, one of them made a little sense here and there last night. For example, Andrew Yang. I don't like him particularly. I think he's a snotty bum. And uh, I, this, look, don't, don't take this personally. You're going to take it the wrong way. I don't like his nostrils. You know how we, we take a liking or a disliking to someone's looks almost immediately? People have flared nostrils have always offended me. There was a guy in Congress years ago, uh, I forget his name, a real Democrat with really wide nostrils, nostrilmen I used to call them. Guys with wide open nostrils, they're, uh, they're sending a signal of some kind. Waxman, Waxman, nostrilmen I used to call them. So why should it be hands off with Yang? What, because he's not a white man? I'm not allowed to say I don't like his nostrils? I like Chinese people. I think they're very good looking. I love their cuisine. I love the ancient culture of China. I don't like communism. Communism is a ra rather recent addendum to the Chinese culture, by the way. China was never a communistic nation until they got infected by the Russian Revolution. But Andrew Yang hits the media for telling Americans Russia elected Trump. You got to hear Cliff 28. Listen to this one. 28, Americans can't agree on impeachment. We're getting our news from different sources, and it's making it hard for us even to agree on basic facts. Congressional approval rating, last I checked, was something like 17 percent, and Americans right. don't trust the media networks to tell them the truth. The media networks right. didn't do us any favors by missing the reason why Donald Trump became our president in the first place. If you turn mm -hmm. on cable network news today, you would think he's our president because of some combination of Russia, racism, Facebook, Hillary Clinton and emails all mixed together. <laughs> He's right. It's hard to believe this came out of a Democrat's mouth last night. He made sense. And the guy actually, what was he trying to say to them? What are you people nuts? Go to clip 29. Here's Yang continuing where he makes sense again. But Americans around the country know different. We blasted away four million manufacturing jobs that were primarily based in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Missouri. I just left Iowa. We blasted 40,000 manufacturing jobs there. The more we act like Donald Trump is the cause of all of our problems, the more what? Americans lose trust wait, that we wait, can wait. actually see what's going on in our communities and solve wait, those wait, problems. Now we went off so the we rail. Have to do right, is stop. We have to now we went off the rail. Now we got stupid. Now the stupid gene clicked in, the one that his mother told him to avoid at all costs. He was doing himself a good service, and all of a sudden he went off the rails. We blasted away 4 million manufacturing jobs. He means under who? Under Obama and under Clinton? When Clinton exported these jobs and Obama continued the export? And then he, no, Trump didn't cause it. Trump is trying to fix that. And then, uh, thank God, Kamala Harris is gone. Man, was she dumb. Wow, was she a dummy. Cory Booker was a like a, a thug. You know, Cory Booker always reminded me of like a thug on a basketball court. That he, like, beat up the smaller kids. He was a real thuggish bum. I'm glad he's gone. She was too dumb for the job. Amy Klobuchar should not be there anymore. She looks like she makes lemon meringue cakes for B'nai B'rith somewhere in Wisconsin. I don't know. I don't know how she's up there. I don't know what she's doing there. She looks like she runs, like, a little thing that makes cakes and, and raises money. What in the world is she doing there? But she's there, and she's not going to get anywhere. They kept her up there because she's a woman. They need another woman up there. So they kept, let's see, one minority. And what else? They kept one minority and one... How many women were up there? I wouldn't call Elizabeth Warren a woman. I would call her a creature. I don't know what her gender is. It doesn't matter to me. She's a creature. Klobuchar? No, I'm talking now about Elizabeth Warren. I'm saying she looks like a creature. Thomas Steyer is the meanest, the meanest bum I've ever seen in my life. Mean and stupid. I see his ads on TV. And why? how did he make his money? Hedge funds. Okay, the minute you hear hedge funds, you know already why he, we were born 1957, founder of Farallon Capital, blah, 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 founder of One California Bank. Okay, let's look into that, which became through merger beneficial state bank. Let's look into that. Farallon Capital manages 20 billion in capital for institutions and high net worth individuals. You ain't going to manage my, the firms include college endowments, blah, blah, blah. partner, a member of the executive committee of Hellman and Freeman, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in 2010, Steiner, Steiner served on the Board of Trustees of Stanford. Blah, blah, blah. All right, standard left-wing uh, guilt, guilt case. 
a standard is a standard left wing guilt job. That's all. Progressive positions on climate change. He's full of crap. He knows there is no climate change caused by man. Now, don't get me wrong. I have been fighting for a cleaner environment all my life, long before he even found what the mean the, the word means. You know, that's the thing that bothers me the most about this is I myself have fought for a cleaner earth ever since I've been an adult, both in my writings, in my speaking, in positions I've taken. And I don't understand these people. They know better. Certainly we want to clean the earth, but not at the cost of the truth and not at the cost of our own survival. But then again, when you start to speak to uh, Bolshevik demagogues like those on the left, all is lost because they don't listen to anything, okay? This is the Savage Nation. Phone number is 855-400-7282. Back in a moment. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I mean, I don't have any imaginations that my editorial is going to shift uh, their views on this matter. I mean, the fact of the matter is even, uh, Christianity today is not read by the people on the far, Christians on the far right, by evangelicals on the far right. So they're going to be as dismissive of the magazine as President Trump has shown to be. Right. You, Mr. Galley, are on the far left, as Trump has said. And your magazine is now finished. I don't understand how anyone could be on the far left and be a Christian, actually. I don't understand that. I guess you could say, well, they're for the poor and they want to help people. I suppose that could fit together somehow. But if you really understood where the far left has come from and where it goes and that they usually kill priests, if you look at Russia after the Bolshevik Revolution, do you know that they burn churches and they burn priests alive? Are you aware of that? Do you understand that Bolshevism of the type being professed by the Democrats has led to the persecution and murder of Christians throughout uh, the history of Bolshevism and communism. I guess that's too far afield from listening to the nice men and women on the stage last night. But I have told you, it's not the people who lead these discussions that you have to worry about. It's the ones who follow them that you have to worry about. It's the followers of the mad spitting, hating Bernie Sanders that you have to worry about. It's the followers of the demagogue liar, Steyer, that you have to worry about. Steyer's going nowhere. He bought his way on, but he's a schmendrick. And he's a liar on top of it all. If you look into what his hedge funds made money in, I have a caller right now. Listen to this now. Another Mr. Green, and he's for the environment. He hates Trump. Just jealous. Rick in California, tell us what you know about Steyer's hedge fund. So he's in between San Francisco and Santa Cruz. His wife runs a cattle farm, Left Coast Cattle <laughs> Company. I thought they were against getting rid of cows. Wait, wait. Steyer's wife runs what company? Left Coast Cattle. Oh, my God. I thought that cow farts were destroying the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought, too. Lying liberals do as they say. <laughs> so he's in cattle. What else is he in? Uh, like you said, he was in the hedge fund, but I'm I'm not 100% sure, but I think he was in the oil and all that side of it, you know, making... Yeah, God in heaven. Uh, you know, you talk about hip hypocrisy. These people are the biggest hypocrites on the planet, and most of them are just jealous of Trump at the end of the day. Yep. So, hey, thank you for uh, enlightening us. Left Coast Cattle Company. Michael Seth. And that's owned by Steyer's wife, according to you. We'll have to check. I can't confirm or deny that, but we'll, we'll look into it. I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. Here's another issue. Rainbow flag burner, a Hispanic kid, got 16 years in prison from some crackpot county judge in Iowa. Now, you know if he gets a lawyer, they're going to get him off because it's uh, not a hate crime to burn a flag. We've been told a thousand times that when people decimate, denigrate, destroy, burn the American flag, it's not a crime at all. So why should it be a crime to burn a piece of fabric with a rainbow on it? How could he get 16 years while he's a poor Hispanic kid? So this is a racist judge, by the way. Uh, Connecticut, Jesse, go ahead, please, on the rainbow flag burner. What's your uh, position? Yeah, Michael, it's a pleasure. I listen to you for hours, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I was just, when I heard the story, it was reminiscent of what happened to Otto Warmbier in North uh, Korea. Well, mm. He ripped off propaganda off of their wall, and they gave him, I think it was a 10-year prison sentence, in which he, he ultimately died. Uh, Here's this kid. Listen to the 16-year sentence 
for burning a rainbow flag. He didn't beat anyone up. He didn't burn down a building. He didn't hit anybody. He burned a piece of a rag. And the judge throws the book at him 16 years for burning a rainbow flag. Where are the left wingers on this defending this poor Hispanic kid? Where are they? Where is Hollywood? Where's Meryl uh, Streaker? Where's Martin Scorsese? Where are they all on this? Well, where's Jane Fonda? They're also concerned about the environment. How about the environment of hate being put out by, uh, by the left? Hey, I thank you for the call. That's very nice of you. It's not even on the Drudge Report, the flag job. I'm looking for it. Did it get dropped? That's a huge story, by the way. I would, I would make this a huge story. Is it on michaelsavage.com? Karen, put it up if it isn't. Well, here's a great story from uh, michaelsavage.com. Some crackpot is envisioning a $3 billion, 300-acre city for bums. It will include dorm housing, communal TVs, underground tunnels, an all-inclusive, all-inclusive $3 billion, 300-acre city for the, for the homeless bums, put together by a group called Citizens Again. Now, let me ask you something. Didn't we try public housing like 50 or 60 years ago? How'd that work out? And they weren't even homeless people. They were just working poor. Now, could you imagine taking a person who's crapping in the streets, uh, snorting crack, using amphetamines or whatever, and is in the gutter and put that person into a uh, communal apartment building? How is that going to work? Who in the hell would come up with an idea like this? Who? The same people who are promising you that Trump is more evil than Stalin, Mao Zedong, and Pol Pot together and should be impeached. We have 130,000 bums in the streets of California, a quarter of the national total. And now they're coming up with an idea for a housing city, a city for housing them. How's that for an idea? The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. All right, now we have a wonderful conversation coming up. As you know, I try to get smart people on the show, and we have a really intelligent, wonderful author, Amity Schles, who wrote a book called Great Society, New History. Now, th- she's written other best-selling books, many of them, including The Forgotten Man, A New History of the Great Depression, uh, and other books that you probably have read. And she wrote a biography of Calvin Coolidge. She wrote The Greedy Hand, How Taxes Drive Americans Crazy. I want to read that one. Well, she has a new book out called Great Society, A New History. And you look around America and you see massive housing projects across the country. That's a result of the beginnings of the Great Society. It started after World War II. And as a matter of fact, on a very personal level, before we go to uh, Amity Schles, uh, after World War II, the federal government launched a program which subsidized home purchases in the suburbs for working and middle-class Americans. And the projects were built for the poor, okay? My father bought our first little attached house in Queens, New York, one of those attached brick houses with a $500 subsidy. He had to have $500 down. I don't remember what, but it was on a VA loan of some kind. And if it was not for the federal government, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been in a house. We were renting. So, you know, got to understand there's a place for government in our lives. You know, running for we don't want government. That's nonsense. Right now we have the biggest government in history. In fact, when this show is over, Donald Trump will sign a spending bill that's the highest in American history. That's the so-called Republican conservative president. So, you know, watch which way the ball bounces. Amity Schles, author of the book The Great Society, joins us now on The Savage Nation. Welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. So it's a great book. It's a big book. And um, your book revisits much of the great society that has been overlooked. What made you focus on the great society? Oh, it sounded so familiar. That's the first, <laughs> that's the first reason, because um, many of the programs, but, but also I, I once wrote a book called The Forgotten Man, which is a history of the 30s. And in the 1930s, we did the New Deal. But it wasn't finished, many believe. And they said, you know, when, when we get a chance, we're going to revisit and expand government even more than we did in the New mm. uh, And that's what became the Great Society in the 60s. The big, uh, Lyndon Johnson, who led 
who gave the name to the whole period, um, was thinking of the New Deal and his intellectual father, Franklin Roosevelt. He said, I'm going to finish what Franklin Roosevelt started. That's what John mm. said, uh, with the Great Society. And uh, I want to add one other thing. People uh, kind of... Everyone wanted a great society. We didn't want just a good society. We were help, hopeful and wanted to be helpful after World War II. The only question was, who builds it, the public sector or the private sector? And in the Great Society programs of the 1960, we chose over and over again the public sector. Uh, and what the book, see, you know, what the evidence suggests to me is the private sector was underrated and the public sector was way overrated. Hmm. Now, Amity Schles, you've had many best-selling books. You're on the Manhattan Institute's, you're on the Manhattan Institute's board. I, I'm uh, the chairman of the Book Prize. Interesting. Uh, and you serve as a scholar at the King's College. That's great. You're a former member of the Wall Street Journal's editorial board, so you you really know what you're talking about. And I don't, honestly, God, Amity, I don't know your politics, nor do I really care. I don't care whether you're for or against Trump or for against impeachment. I just love the idea that you wrote such a literate, great, important, sweeping book. And I'm asking from the point of view of a listener now rather than a talk show host, what's your view of the Great Society? My view of the Great Society is that it was too big, too great. It might have been better if it had been called good. And what we did in the social programs you talk about often misfired, backfired. It's a bunch of people full of love doing something for people they love and hurting those people. Everyone wanted to help poor people. Everyone wanted to, um, I don't know, teach young people how to work. Everyone wanted blacks to have social advancement. Everyone, just about. Um, I mean, the vast majority of Americans, with a few exceptions, and yet we didn't help the people we wanted to help, black, poor, children, and we often made things worse. Example, this housing. Well, um, it's about the folly of planners, too. Well, uh, let's build tall buildings for the poor people because that's cheaper. That sounds good, uh, and we have to save money. So let's build really tall buildings with elevators, and let's put a lot of grass around the buildings because it's pretty. Um, but no commerce, because commerce is, I don't know, slightly dirty, and they'll all be happy and be in utopia. Tall buildings didn't work for people, just as they didn't work in Europe. It was kind of a Karl Marx international school vision of how you're supposed to live. People want their own property. Um, Interesting. Wait, wait, so so the public, ha- would you say public housing has been a failure? I would, by and large, yep. And it was a vast hypocrisy on our part, because for the middle class, as you mentioned, the story with your father in Queens, uh, it was Alexi de Tocqueville. Oh, let's put people in communities or enable them to be able to purchase their way into a nice community, maybe on a cul-de-sac, and their kid will attend a local school, and he'll have a bike. And that will be him in the middle class, beginning to be in the middle class, or working class plus. That's what we did with middle class people, like Tocqueville. With poor people, we turned on the Karl Marx. <laughs> let's let's mm. all workers. So, so the poor people were given the public housing projects, which was, these are like the Soviet bloc apartments, right? That's what they became, in essence. They and were tenants. They don't need to own. Oh, no. Whereas okay, so I see what you're saying. There was there was no incentive to buy for the poor at all. They were permanent wards of the state. Amity, you're you're an expert on on you're an expert on this subject. The book is the great a, the book is titled Great Society, not the Great Society in New History. The author is Amity Schles, S H L A E S. I have to ask you about your name. Is that an Irish name? It is not an Irish name. I am Jewish. How do you get a name Schles? Oh, it's one of those Middle European names, and I think my father would have been really unhappy if I had changed it, uh, and I'm proud of it. That's wonderful. Honest to God, when I said it, I, Amity Schles, I said, what a nice, be- beautiful, lyrical Irish name. Pardon me, I'm from New York. It's the first thing we ask. Uh, I can't help it. I'm from another generation. I don't. But you, what? I'm proud. Good, good, <laughs> good, good. But you're a brilliant uh, analyst and writer, so again... You work for the, for you know, you're with the Manhattan Institute, which is a conservative organization, correct? 
I am on a board there to pick a prize for the scholar Friedrich von Hayek. And Hayek sounds hard, but he is not. He is the philosopher who said a little bit of socialism is already too much, which is what we look <laughs> A lot of the characters in this book are socialists, like Michael Harrington, the writer you may, um, who wrote a book called The Other America. It was kind of the hillbilly elegy of the early 60s, poor, right. about a hidden poor part of America in Appalachia. They were socialists, and we never thought we would you know, be read like Karl Marx in Moscow, we thought a little bit of socialism, that is social democracy might be okay. What a li- so today we think that too. We have a politician come in, well, it'll be watered down. But the watered down spending was enormous, and it, it gave us a pretty sad decade, the 70s. Uh, you know, our houses were smaller than we thought. Our interest rates were over 15%. Um, our stocks were absolutely flat in the 1960s, and now we think of an ever-rising stock market as our kind of birthright. That was a yep. consequence of the 60s and the overcommitment of that period. So uh, that that was quite interesting um, to see that. And I think also, you know, some of the listeners will know the best and the brightest, that famous book by David Halverson about... Yes. The, it's an ironic title, how these smart guys didn't plan Vietnam very well because they were too much uh, in, in, in love with themselves and their own spreadsheets and not really aware of what was going on in the ground in North and South Vietnam. Well, this book is kind of a best and the brightest of super bright guys who were really arrogant and misplanned. Well, I want to ask you something. It's, it's common parlance amongst conservatives, especially in the media, that the Great Society on the LBJ... Uh, is one of the primary reasons that the black family was disintegrated, that prior to the, the, the handouts, the welfare state, if you want to put it that way, there were tens of thousands of small businesses in African-American communities. And uh, the, the welfare state replaced the father. Is that, is that accurate in your, in your vision? That's not even accurate in my vision. That is accurate. And there, there are plenty of people of color who have said that, too. Um, one recently I heard was uh, Ian Rowe, who runs a very innovative charter school program in, in New York City. What happened was our welfare programs before the Great Society, Aid for Family with Dependent Children, Families with Dependent Children, that already separated families. Then we came along with this program of the 60s, the Great Society, to make poverty be absolutely cured was the goal, very ambitious goal, and we kind of cemented our error. There were occasional efforts to reform, but we cemented this error, and there were a lot of financial incentives for families to stay separated. This didn't hurt just blacks. It also hurt whites. Look at illegitimate birth births among mm. whites. They arose as well just a, a few years later. Mm. So both well, I, w- I was actually a welfare worker in the 1960s in New York City. Oh my. I, saw with my, I saw with my own eyes how they had to hide the fact that if they were married, they had to hide the fact that there was a man in the, in the apartment. I, and my district was actually the Bern, I was the Bernie Sanders Upper West Side. I worked on, on the Upper West Side, and I saw these families hiding the fact that they were even together. They weren't allowed to be together. They weren't allowed to be together. And in, uh, in the book, I talk about another housing development in St. Louis called pruitt Igo, and there's a beautiful movie about that called The Myth of Pruitt-Igoe, where the young men describe how their dad had to hide Hmm. Or had to go to another state in order for their mother to be able to keep the apartment. So, wow. black, you know, they say it's um, I mean, it, it, it's uh, minority removal. We'll put it in modern language. Urban renewal is minority removal. I'm paraphrasing a famous statement. Uh, they it ended up also urban renewal these projects, and again that started in the '60s. Urban renewal. What I thought you were going to mention was Goldberg v. Kelly which is a lawsuit in New York City that basically made the way, made, uh, paved the way for welfare money or other entitlements to become property, to which you're entitled just as you're entitled to the rights to your patent or your bank account. And that was wow. a bad attitude, too, because once you give people welfare money as property, they're going to fight for it. Why shouldn't they? And that's the wrong emphasis for those families. Opportunity should be their property, not a payment that is charity. Uh, so, so there are all kinds of changes uh, that went to the Supreme Court, changes in the 60s that were bad for families and not just black families. So uh, I tried to describe the legal revolution under which you, Michael, worked, uh, where entitlement became property, where um, 
the welfare groups really litigated a lot, where there were multiple class action suits in, in a number of areas that intimidated local authorities and made them less able to help the people they were supposed to serve and had committed to serve. We are speaking with a best-selling author, brilliant woman, Amity Schles, and the book is Great Society, A New History. Uh, before you go, it's kind of late on a Friday, and I'm really interested in this subject. I'll probably read the whole book over the next week. I haven't really read the book. I've looked through it, and I lived through it as a welfare worker and living through it now as a talk show host. Here's Trump about to sign a $1.4 trillion spending bill. How is that considered conservative under this administration? Uh, do you want to get into that, or should we skip it? I don't understand that. Um, I mean, I should mention uh, my, my day job is chairman of the Calvin Coolidge Foundation. Coolidge <laughs> was president in the 20s, and Coolidge always balanced the budget. He even cut it uh. as well. A Republican can cut the budget even in peacetime. And at that huh. time, uh, there was also a progressive wave. You know, remember, yeah. the Republican Party at that time was splitting apart. The progressives wanted to spend a lot. So so it's possible, and uh, it doesn't really matter which party it is, but one of the parties has to understand that one day our currency could be challenged and we could confront the interest rates that our parents or grandparents had to pay huh. to fewer bedrooms in our house when inflation comes. You're the chairman of the board of the Calvin Coolidge Presidential Foundation. Where are they headquartered? We are headquartered in Plymouth Notch, Vermont, which is a tiny hamlet where, where the... <laughs> in Vermont? Headed. Did you say in Vermont? That's very, in- <laughs> that's very interesting. Republican in 1936. Cause oh, I know, I know. I, I, I'm speaking with someone who's from Vermont telling me all about how great Vermont is, even though Bernie Sanders is the senator. <laughs> well, Vermont has wonderful aspects, and Coolidge is proud to be from there. And I want to mention to your listeners, who are so numerous... Please come and see the Coolidge House in the summertime. Coolidge was born on the 4th of July, the only president to be born on our actual national birthday. And we have a parade um, wow. with National Guard and kids. So if- Boy, you're, you're really into this, Amity, aren't you? This is, this is amazing. We could talk forever, but I suggest people read this book, Great Society. Amity Schley is the author of many best-selling books, including The Forgotten Man, Wonderful to have you on the Savage Nation today. I hope you make it a regular visit every time you have a book. Thanks for being with us, Ms. Schles. Thank you for paying attention to Great Society. <laughs> Back in a minute on the Savage Nation. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, the Savage Nation. You never know what God has in store for you tomorrow. That's all I can say to you. Your mother was right. You just don't know what's coming around the corner. And this is the last live show of the year. If you haven't heard it before, you're hearing it now. Uh, Next week, you will hear my voice Monday through Friday for the full show. We've collected the best shows of the year. And uh, that's what you're going to be hearing. And you want to stay in touch with me, you can follow me on michaelsavage.com or at a Savage Nation. I do tweet a lot since Trump. I hated Twitter. I was on it since 09 and never went on it. And then because he started doing it and I complained about tweeting, I thought it was illiterate. But everyone was, you know, every leader in the world is on Twitter. Policy is being set by Twitter. How could you not be on Twitter today, right? Even though Twitter's kind of out of date, right? That's all. So thank God the debates are behind us. The class warfare bull crap is behind us, except in the media. We don't have to listen to these clowns. They can all rush off in their private jets uh, to a conference on bashing the rich. Morons, liars, hypocrites. And uh, here we are. We have to suffer through the politicians. And as I speak, the president will shortly sign a $1.4 trillion spending bill. That is so conservative. That's so wonderful. Make America grotesque again with a big, fat budget. Make America's budget burst again. This is the savage nation. If the crimes don't fit, you must acquit. If the crimes don't quit, you must acquit. Michael Savage to Nancy Pelosi. Thanks for listening. The Westwood One Podcast Network.